God is good? And all the time? Thank you, maybe see you this morning. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, my name is John, and I am blessed to be the pastor here. I want to welcome all of you in the building, those of you who are online. Make sure, if you have an opportunity, grab your phone and share the Facebook feed. Just invite people to join us uh, this morning. And I have some great news that uh, some of you heard through email, or maybe you've watched a video, that on September the 20th, we're going to get to open back up our Hallmark Kids and Hallmark Student Ministry. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. And uh, so make sure you go on the website and click, uh, find out all the information and all the guidelines that we're so blessed to be sharing with you. But we're excited to have our Hallmark kids and students meeting again on September the 20th at 9.15. Our high school students will meet Sunday evenings, but you can find all that information on our website. And I'm excited. We're starting a new series today, and this series, as you can see on the screen, is called Leftovers. Now, I think leftovers get a bad name, all right? So I'm just curious, how many of you, you like leftovers? Raise your hand or I look around the room. That's, wow, I think more people in second service than first service. This whole section doesn't like leftovers apparently, all right? How many of you uh, hate leftovers, like you despise leftovers? So in our family, when our kids were growing up, we had a, a great team because of my daughter, Blair, she absolutely still hates leftovers. And our son, Blake, was really good at making sure there were never any leftovers. And so it was a good thing. And in fact, I remember about uh, a week after our son left for college, I opened up the refrigerator and all of a sudden, you can, you can see on the screen here, I realized we hadn't seen this in our refrigerator in years. There were actually leftovers because it seemed like what used to happen, we would put leftovers in the fridge. And when we wake up in the morning, they were miraculously gone. They were gone. And so uh, I think leftovers get the, what? How many of you, cold pizza is your go-to leftover? Anybody like cold pizza? All right. Uh, how about lasagna? I think lasagna is really good. Like any kind of pasta, like all that sauce just soaks in. And uh, I'm getting really hungry talking about this, so we'll move on. But, but when we think about in this series, I want us to think of leftovers in a negative way. Okay, because what we're talking about, you can see this, the question that I want us to wrestle with over the next few weeks is, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? Because if God is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise that we read about in Revelation chapter 4, and why is he worthy of all glory, honor, and praise? It says there in verse 11 of chapter 4, the reason is because he created all things, and because of his will, all things consist and exist, and we were created by God. And so we think about this, you can see on uh, the bag here, there's three symbols at the top, right above our leftovers, and these are the three categories as we wrestle with the question, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? Here's the three categories I want you to kind of have in your mind as you think about that question. The first is our time, second is our talent, and the third is our treasure. Does God get the best of my time? Does he get the best of my talent? And does he get the best of my treasure? Or... Does he get the leftovers, the best of me or the rest of me? Now, at the end of this four weeks, we're going to give you, uh, similar to what we did last year, we're going to give you a 90-day challenge, okay? So start praying about it, start thinking about it, and there's going to be four opportunities for you, four ways you could take your next step or take this 90-day challenge. This 90-day challenge will begin the first week of October that will run through the rest of the year. 
And so there's three po- or four possibilities here. First is, maybe some of you have never consistently given a percentage on purpose gift to the Lord. Uh, you've never been involved in consistent giving. And maybe for you, this first step of faith, this first step of giving God the best of you is just to make a commitment for 90 days. God, I'm going to try to give between 1% and 9%. I'm going to give 3%, Lord, for 90 days just to honor you with my money. Some of you have probably been doing that for a long time, and, and maybe the next step for you, the next challenge would be that I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to make a commitment to tithe. I'm going to give 10% of my income for 90 days, and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to give him the best of me, and I'm going to trust him with the rest of me. Uh, the next challenge maybe for some of you is some of you have been faithful in giving for years and years, and you've given 10%, 10%, 10%, and maybe God is saying, hey, why, why don't you for 90 days just take this challenge? I'm going to give 13% or 14% or whatever God puts in your heart for 90 days just to, to end the year blessing the Lord. Or maybe some of you got big faith, right? And, and there's somebody that I could, um, we could all maybe blame for this last category. Last year, if you remember, when we did a 90-day challenge, there were only two boxes on the card that we asked you to check. It was either uh, I'm going to start tithing or I'm going to continue tithing. And somebody after the service that day uh, came up to me and said, hey, you know, John, I think you need to add a box to this card. I was like, oh, yeah, what is that? And uh, usually, you know, the advice is always, I'm going to give nothing, you know. But he, this, is, this person said, I think you need to put double tithe. I'm going to give 20% plus to the Lord. So I've been wrestling with that all year. And so uh, would you like to know who it was so we can know who to blame? Anybody want to raise your hand? You guys would know who it was if I told you, but I'm not going to tell you because I don't trust you with that information. So turn me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. And we're going to kind of narrow in this morning or focus on this question, does God get the best of me or the rest of me, specifically talking in the area of our own families? So as parents or grandparents, uh, how, how, does God get the best of my family? And, and does it get the best of the time in my family or the best of the talent in my family or the best of the treasure in my family? And I think a great example here we see is in, in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter number 22. And this familiar story, I think, for most of us. Before we read the text, though, I want to just kind of give you my like, presupposition of this whole idea of God get the best of me or the rest of me. And that is this. My assumption this morning is that every one of us believe that God is the owner of all things, that we are the manager. As I quoted uh, Revelation 4, verse 11 earlier, you are worthy, are worthy of, of glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things, and because of your will, all things exist and were created. I also understand in First Chronicles, David said, I adore you as a being in control of all things. Riches and honor belong to you. It is by your hand, God, that, all, that, that I have power and I have might. And so we understand this morning, everything I have belongs to God. I'm a manager, not an owner. Okay, shake your hand if you're tracking with me, all right? I'm a manager, not an owner. Verse number one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. And so we get two things. I'm gonna, as we walk through this text, I'm going to give you six lessons that we find in this text. And then we're going to just kind of have a, a, 
application for us. The first lesson we see is in the very first. There's two actually in the first verse. The first one is this. Expect God to test your faith. Abraham uh, was a faithful guy most of the time. And it says here that God came to Abraham and was going to test his faith. And understanding this idea of testing his faith is not that he was trying to get him or entice him to sin, but he was trying to prove to Abraham and to God himself that his faith was true. That the faith, there was quality to his faith. And you know, the truth is, when God tests our faith, when we pass the test, we're blessed by it. It's one thing to say, I trust God, but it's another thing when we have to trust God. And on the other side of the testing comes blessing. And one of the greatest blessings of God testing my faith is to realize God is good, and God is faithful, and God is unshakable, as we just sang about. The second lesson here is in verse 1 again. It says, uh, God says to Abraham, Abraham, he calls his name, and Abraham simply says, here I am. And so the second lesson here is, when God speaks, listen. It's really deep, right? When God speaks, listen. God comes to test him. Our, test, our faith is going to be tested. God says, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. Verse number two. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, I just want to point out in verse number two here, this language sounds really familiar. Let me read it again. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go sacrifice him. Does that sound very familiar to a New Testament verse that's very popular or most of us have memorized? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And what a picture we see here in Abraham and Isaac of God the Father and God the Son. And what we understand from that is that, listen, God is never going to ask you to give more than he's given. He's never going to ask you to love more than he loves you. You. He's never going to ask you to sacrifice more than he's already sacrificed for you. So we ask Abraham, do you love me? Will you sacrifice your son? Verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, the, the third lesson is found in the first sentence there in verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. When God speaks, obey. Immediately the next day, even though God has given this unbelievable ask, this unbelievable test of his faith, Abraham immediately the next morning follows in obedience. When God speaks, obey. Look at verse number four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Isn't that a great statement? It doesn't make sense, though, does it, if we're following the story? Because what God has asked Abraham to do is to go sacrifice his son, to kill his son on the altar, to prove his love for God. And yet here, Abraham tells his servants, those that are traveling with him, Isaac and I are going to go, we're going to go offer the burnt offering, and we, me and Isaac, are going to come back to you. Which brings us to lesson number four. Obedience 
requires faith. Obedience requires faith. See, God's going to test our faith. When he speaks, we need to listen. When he speaks, we need to obey. And we also have to understand obedience may be tough. It's going to require some faith. I love this statement. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable. Our faith is not really tested if he doesn't ask us to do what seems impossible. You see, a faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And as we understand obedience requires faith, Abraham in faith says, we will come back to you. Let's look at verse number six. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and knife, and the two, uh, the two of them, I want you to underline or circle or highlight these two words. They went together. Isaac and Abraham go up the mountain together. And I know the text here says lad, but most scholars say that Isaac was probably at least 20 years of age at this time. And so he willingly goes up. They went together. Verse number seven. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then Isaac says, look, the fire, the wood, and here's a legitimate question, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's old enough to understand that we're missing the most important part of this sacrifice. And you told him we were going to go worship, offer a sacrifice, and we were going to come back. So where is the lamb? Verse number 8. Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Verse, lesson number 5 here. Depend on God's provision. You see here, Abraham has been given this unbelievable task, this unbelievable step of faith, and he goes with his son Isaac, and he says, God, God's going to provide. You see, faith is understanding that even when we don't see it, even when we don't see God working, he is. Even when we don't understand what he's doing, God's working. God will provide. And then in verse number eight, the last two words, what does it say? So the two of them went together. The two of them went together. Now, if Isaac is 20 years old plus, his dad is at this point 120 years plus, stands to reason that Isaac could have walked back down the mountain. But twice it says in this text they went together. And I think it's a great picture of God the Father and God the Son. Because Jesus could have easily not walked up Calvary's mountain. He could have easily said, I'm not going to be the sacrifice. He could have called angels down to rescue him off the cross. But Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. Jesus willingly said... I will do the Father's will. Now, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. Again, as we think about this idea of the faith that it took of Abraham, as we think about the God the Father, God the Son, they went together. It was a plan before time to redeem mankind and to themselves because of sin. 
And I think we see in Romans 4 and also in Romans 5 how this all works together. Romans 4, verse 19. And not being weak, I love this, the description of Abraham. This is describing Abraham before, right before Isaac is born. And not being weak in faith, they did not, or he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Again, for years, 25 years plus, God had promised a son when Abraham was 75 years old. He doesn't have the son until he's 100 years old. And this is describing that. Abraham still had faith. Even after 20-some years of waiting, Abraham still says God is still able. Look what it says in verse number 20. He did not waver at uh, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Do you see the faith that it required for Abraham to follow in obedience, to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the reason that Abraham's faith was strong is because Abraham's faith had already been tested. For 25 years, he had waited for this son, his only son. He had waited for this one that God had promised. And for 25 years, as we see described here in Romans chapter 4, he did not waver in his faith, believing that God would give what he promised. Do you believe that God will fulfill all his promises? Yes or no? I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe God will fulfill all his promises, yes or no? Do you trust God? Is God good? Is God in control? Is God sovereign? And so this faith that Abraham has, because he has experienced the faithfulness of God. And sometimes the past faithfulness of God is what's needed most to trust in his future provision. And Abraham's faith had been tested for 25 years for God to bless him with his son. And now we here see 20 years later, God is testing his faith again. And Abraham passes the test. We'll see in a moment. I want you to look just over the page in in, uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I think this kind of points out this idea of Abraham and Isaac as they went together. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse number 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see how God the Father and God the Son worked together in reconciling us to God. Are you thankful for the cross of Jesus? Are you thankful that Jesus was willing to lay his life down so that if we cry out and we come to him in faith, what does Ephesians say? For by grace you are what? Saved. Through faith. Now, I'm so humbled that the grace of God came to me. I think for me, and I'll speak for me personally, you can wrestle with this yourself. I think for me, sometimes, I take for granted not just that God gave me grace, but that I heard about His grace. There's people all over the world who've never heard 
of God's grace. And it should be a challenge to us. Is, is God's grace that was sufficient for me, is it worth a little sacrifice so others can know, so others can hear, so they can be a part of God's redemptive plan? And because Jesus willingly hung on the cross to pay my sin debt, what we just read here in Romans chapter 5 is that I can be re- reconciled, I can have a restored relationship with God the Father. And this morning, if you've never experienced God's grace, you've never given your life to Jesus, can I just encourage you in this moment just to cry out to God and say, God, I believe that Jesus died for me. I admit I'm a sinner. I confess my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, I want you to turn me back to Genesis chapter 22, where we, where we left off. Genesis 22, verse number 9. It says, Then they came to the place which God had told them. Abraham built an altar. He placed a wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. So Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide. Again, God's going to test our faith. When God speaks, we should listen. When God speaks, we should obey. Obedience is going to require faith. And that faith is going to cause us to depend on God's provision. And remember what Abraham said? We're going to go worship. And we will come back. And God did exactly what he said. He will provide. Look at verse number uh, Uh, 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants and the stars of heaven and as the sand which is of the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Verse 18, in your sea all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, which leads us to lesson number six. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. Now, I want us to think uh, back to where we started this morning. The question, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? And let's again consider the presupposition of this series that we believe God is the owner of all things. We are the manager of what he has blessed us with, what he has entrusted us with. And I want to specifically focus this morning on this idea uh, as we think about Abraham. Abraham prayed and prayed and prayed. God gave him a son, and then God asked him to give his son back. It's the same thing as Hannah. Hannah prayed and prayed and prayed, and God gave her a son, Samuel. And what did Hannah do? She gave her son back. And as parents and as grandparents, our responsibility as God blesses us with a family, we are to give our children back. We are to train them and to lead them to find and follow Jesus. 
It's interesting, though, in the context of this story that Abraham was in the land of Canaan, and in this land, what was very known in what was popular, what was common, was that the, the parents would sacrifice their children to the false gods. And they would give their kids as an offering, as food, to the false gods. And it seems as if God is asking Abraham, Do you love me, the one true God, as much as the world loves their false gods? Are you willing to sacrifice your family like the world is sacrificing their family? for what is important. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12. What did Paul say? Don't be conformed to the image of this world, the world system of belief. And in this culture, and Abraham was raising his son Isaac, is the culture was to be willing to sacrifice their kids for their false gods. And God says, Abraham, do you love me as much as the world loves their gods? And if you do, you would be willing to give your son back. Now, let's think about some application for us this morning in our current culture, in our current context. A few years ago, I gave you the statistic. In 2014, there was a new uh, economic category. This economic category was known as Kids Sports Tourism. And in 2014, it was just very new, but they, they had... Uh, calculated that in that one category of economics, there was $7 billion spent on kids' sports tourism. $7 billion in America for kids' sports and all that goes with that. In 2017, that number raised up to $10.6 billion in America for kids' sports. In 2019, that number raised and is raising, is continuing to raise $17 billion that we as a culture sacrifice to our gods. In our culture, we're not sacrificing our kids as food as they were in this period of time but I believe we are sacrificing our kids on the altar of their future. We sacrifice, as a culture, all these things that revolve around sports with this idea that we are giving them a better future. And if I could be just a little bit vulnerable to you this morning, I'll be the first to admit that when my kids were growing up, I invested too much time and energy and emotion for sure over here. And maybe it's because of the season that I'm in in my life right now and my kids are not home that I feel like it's a responsibility for me to tell those of you who still have kids at home not to sacrifice over here. 
I mean, I'm thankful, and I feel like sports are good, and I love sports. I'm thankful that I got to coach my kids all the way growing up. God even gave me an opportunity when my son was in high school uh, to coach. They paid me to coach. I, just to be honest, I don't really know much about football. I'm just good at pretending like I know a lot about football. And they paid me to coach my son in high school football. And thank you, God. And I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for those experiences and for those memories. But listen, I'm here to warn you. You know, it's been five years since my son put on a pair of pads. And I think as a culture, we are willing to sacrifice our time and our talent and our treasure for things that have no eternal value. And unfortunately, the last few months, at least for me, it's, it's been a burden in my heart because of what I see. You know what one of the first things industries, if I use that word, that opened up in the state of Texas after the pandemic? Right here. Kids sports. And I tell you what has really grieved my heart is that I see people, I see our culture willing to sacrifice for this. But I can't go to church. It's dangerous there. And it all comes down to what, what gods are we willing to sacrifice for? And unfortunately, as a culture, we're gambling our future for things that have no eternal value. And as a parent, I'm not responsible for how my kids turn out but I am responsible for how I raise them. And if, if this is more important to me as a parent, you know what's going to happen when my kids are 20 and 23? They're going to catch my value system. You see, if the only time that I bring my kids to church is when it's convenient. You know what's going to happen when they're 23? It's not going to be very convenient. And as a culture, what God is asking us, are we willing to sacrifice as much for God as we are for those false gods? The, the question I want you to wrestle with is, does God get the best of my family or the rest of my family? Does he get the leftovers? Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? I'm going to ask Stefan and the praise team, we're going to close the service out. We're going to have an opportunity to respond through worship, through music. And I want you, again, as we wrestle with this question, does God get the best of me or the rest of me? And I'm talking about my time, my talent, my treasure. Specifically today, I'm talking about my kids and my family. What, what value have I placed on God and his church as opposed to the image of this world? What's important? And I want to encourage you in a moment when we stand to sing that if, if God is really speaking to you, maybe, maybe you could stay seated at your seat. You could just talk to the Lord there. If you would like to, you could
can space out, you're welcome to come to the altar this morning. Maybe as a family, just say, God, I admit, you're getting the rest of us, not the best of us. God, we ask you this morning that as we worship you through song, as we proclaim today, we are going to proclaim you are a way maker, that we can build our life on you, that Lord, it wouldn't just be words, but it would be followed by actions, that we would take a step of faith, that we'd be obedient, that we'd depend on your provision, that you would get the best of us, not the rest of us, Lord, that who you are and and your goodness and your church would direct our schedules, not everything else. God, I ask that you would move and that we can worship you. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And as we sing, let's just acknowledge that, that God is in control, that God is good, that God is worthy of our time.